2: Hi, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today, I'm pleased to share part one of my interview with Emily Schrader and Yusuf Haddad. Emily is an Israeli-American, Yusuf is an Israeli-Arab, and they're the host of a new digital TV show called Headlines with Haddads. We're here in Jerusalem, Israel, at the King David Hotel, and we had a great conversation. I indirectly owe Whoopi Goldberg a thank you for the introduction. After I did my series on Whoopi's terrible comments relating to the Holocaust... One of my guests introduced me to Emily and Yusuf. They interviewed me for their show, Headlines with the Haddads We had such a great conversation, I decided I would interview them. So I was in Jerusalem. They came to the King David to meet me. I have two of my kids here. Sophia and Avery joined the interview. We talk about Israeli Arabs and Israel society and so much more. I think you'll find it fascinating. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I am here at the storied King David Hotel on the patio overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. I'm here with Yusuf Haddad and Emily Schroeder. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having us.
2: Thank you very much. So the King David to me actually means a lot. I spent three years at the White House, and I pretty much stayed here almost every single time. I had lots and lots of meetings. In fact, as you noticed, as we walked on the patio, I found two people who were, were ahead of us and during my time, and even now, outside people involved in the peace process, so it's always good to see people still working on peace. Yusuf, I want to start with a story that I'll, I'll start with your question first. So. When I was working at the White House, one of the one of probably the most difficult things that I did was have to pay visits to families in mourning as a result of terror attacks. And one time, there were three young Israelis that were murdered by a terrorist. Two Jewish Israelis, one Arab Israeli. And uh, I paid the shiva calls to the Jewish families. I visited with the Israeli Arab family. And when I walked in... It was really interesting to me because the whole family were wearing T-shirts with Israeli flags. As it always says, it's a very sad, moving visit. The father of the boy, whose name was Yusuf, was very warm, very friendly. I actually went with my kids at the time. I had triplets studying here in Jerusalem. And when I walked over, when, I started, when we started to leave, this father went over to my son Noah and held his head, kissed him on his head, and he said, You... You're like my son. It was really, it brought tears to my eyes. Why don't we start, Yusuf, with telling me, you know, your view about Israel and Israeli Arab and Israeli Jewish society. First of
1: all, I'm not surprised uh, that the father did that uh, to your son. And uh, actually, it's what I expected. Uh, There's a lot of uh, misinformation in the Western world regarding the Israeli Arab society here. And in fact, the uh, absolute uh, majority of the Israeli Arab want to live side by by side with the Jewish Israeli society in a partnership, in a cooperation. And um, I can tell you a story of uh, mine just to give you an idea about uh, how terrorism hits everyone, uh, Arabs and Jews. And in fact, it was exactly one month before I decided to volunteer to serve in the IDF. And uh, specifically when I say IDF, it's because IDF, it's Israel's defense force. It's not the JDF, it's not the Jewish defense force. And when the IDF fights terrorist organizations, IDF fights for all the citizens of Israel, including the 20% of the Arab population. And when Hamas... And Hezbollah launched their rockets. They launched their rockets without, oh, thinking, wait, is this going to an Arab town or this is going to a Jewish town? No, their missiles doesn't discriminate between uh, Arabs and, uh, and Jews. And one month before I started my service in the, in the IDF, uh, a terrible event happened in Israel. You know, I was pretty sure, not pretty sure, 100% sure of my decision to serve in the army and to volunteer. But because of that terrible event, it became million percent. Uh, I started my service on the 16th of November, 2003. On the 4th of October, 2003, a Palestinian female suicide bomber entered the Maxim restaurant in Haifa. It's a, it's a, it's a restaurant co-owned by Arabs and Jews. And she blew up that restaurant and ended up killing 21 civilians, Arabs and Jews. The craziest part is, a few days before that explosion, me and my family were there. We celebrate events there. It was a very known uh, restaurant for us, for the family. So one, you realize that you could have been a target for a terrorist act. Second, you see that that terrorist killed Arabs and Jews. So when I entered the army, I entered with the feeling of I'm going to serve my country. I'm going to serve my society. And when I say my society, I mean the Israeli society. And I wish in the future I wouldn't have to explain that I mean the Arab and the Jews. And this is the reality of it. And we've seen this cooperation in the hospitals. People don't realize that Jewish doctors treat Arab patients, and Arab doctors treat Jewish patients. They don't realize that we have politicians in the parliament, some of them acting against Israel, yet because it is the only democracy in the Middle East, the true democracy, as I love to say it, they are allowed to, to do that. And, and, and there's more than just that. So there's a lot of information, and a lot of, let's say, misinformation about the, the Arab society in Israel. And that's why I decided to do what, I, what I'm doing today, which part of it is as much as possible to talk and to share their stories, the reality, from the eyes and perspective of, a, of an Arab Israeli.
2: So thank you, Yusuf, for that. And gosh, I could probably sit here until Shabbat begins in about three hours. I have so many questions too, and I think my listeners are going to learn a great deal. Emily, from your perspective, before I get to the next topic, do you have anything to share and uh, to add on to what Yusuf said?
0: You know, I'm just going to add because I'm coming from the perspective of an American, as someone who made Aliyah, who came to Israel as an immigrant. And a lot of times when we talk about supporting Israel and the Israeli society and the state of Israel as a whole, of course it's the Jewish state. But one thing I think is actually underemphasized in the West and in the United States is that democratic component. Not that we don't know it's a democratic state. Of course we know it's a democratic state. But Jewish and democratic is important because it speaks to all of Israeli society. And a lot of times the Arab society is left out of the conversation or if and when it is brought up, it's brought up in negative events or negative circumstances. And certainly those incidents do occur. They occurred last May, as we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, But, you know, Yusuf was really right. The majority of the Israeli Arab Society just wants to live in peace as Israelis, not as Palestinians, as Israelis. And we see that in poll after poll after poll, whether they're from, you know, largely anti-Israel groups or they're from, you know, Jewish Israeli groups. We see pretty much the same result across the board. The Israeli society, the Israeli Arab Society does not want to be Palestinian. They want to be Israeli. And I think that we can do a lot more to educate about this topic and this issue as pro-Israel activists, as Zionists in the United States as well, and make sure that that part is included uh, in the discussion when we talk about supporting Israel and and how we support Israel.
2: So both of you use the word Palestinian as part of the conversation. And I think most people outside of Israel really have a misunderstanding of the distinction between who is Palestinian versus Israeli Arab. So why don't we address that, and then we could go on through the rest of the questions, whichever of you want to talk about it.
1: It's simple. West Bank, Gaza, Palestinians. Arabs who live in Israel, Arab Israelis. That simple. And um, I'm going to just you know go back to what uh, Emily said about the polls. I mean, uh, one of the biggest surveys that was uh, just last year asked Israeli Arabs, how they define themselves, and give them four options: one as Palestinian, second as Arabs, third as Israelis, fourth as Israeli Arabs. In fact, only seven percent answered Palestinians. More than seventy percent uh, answered either as Arabs or Arab Israelis. So we can see that even the majority of the Arabs here in Israel, you know, they don't identify, identify as the Palestinians. And one of the um, interesting things is that. Uh, even the Palestinians themselves don't see us as Palestinians. I mean, when Channel 12 anchor went to um, Jenin, asked about the situation regarding you know the economical situation in Jenin and everything, and he asked, uh, and and the, he talked to the Palestinians in Jenin. All of them address the Arab who live in Israel as Arab Israelis. Not all, uh, uh, yeah, we're waiting for the Arab Israelis to come and buy and shop here. None of them ask, oh, we're waiting for our brothers, the Palestinians, from the inside of Israel to come. So even the Palestinians themselves address us as Arab Israelis. And it's quite fascinating to see that the Western world considers us as Palestinians, while the Palestinians themselves see us as Arab Israelis. This just shows how much ignorance there is regarding who we are, uh, and uh, the difference between uh, between uh, Palestinians and Arab uh, in Israel.
0: I just wanted to add on to that, that one of the things that's interesting, again, coming from the American perspective, is that so often we see, I don't know if it's due to a lack of understanding or it's intentional, but, you know, a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, even a week ago, the Amnesty International report came out accusing Israel of apartheid, which, of course, is ridiculous. But what's interesting about it is that they label israeli arabs and palestinians as the same thing they try so hard
2: i didn't even realize that that's crazy so yusuf i'm sorry you cannot sit at this table with us at the king david (laughs) having cappuccinos i mean i'm sorry (laughs) according to amnesty you really shouldn't be
1: i'm seriously telling you that i'm afraid that in every minute someone will come and tell me hey you're an arab (laughs) you can't sit here
0: But you see, we we see such an effort to categorize them as the same and pit them against the Israeli society, which is really the opposite of reality. And this is the the problem that we're combating in the West, generally speaking, the West's Perspective of Israeli society. That's why it's so important that we include Israeli Arabs in the discussion because they are a part of Israel. And the only people who are saying otherwise are people who have, no clue. yeah.
1: <laughs> no, but I actually, I, if, if if we're already talking about the Amnesty report, you know, one of the, the stereotypes that usually they say about Jews that they control the money, right? You know, the Jews have the money, have the power, the money. Yet in Israel, the so-called apartheid state, the head of the biggest bank, Bank Leumi is Professor Samir Hajjihya, an Arab Muslim. Now, honestly, I'm not sure that any of the uh, listeners in that podcast or even every time I speak about that, they have no clue who is Samir Hajjihya. They have no idea that the head of the biggest bank is an Arab Muslim. So you you, you 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 say to yourself, I mean, when when whoever writes those reports, what are you trying to do? If you're trying to get money, if you're trying to... Preserve that conflict because this is the only way that you can justify your existence, then you're doing a good job. But if you really want to solve that conflict, if you really want to help Arabs in Israel, if you want to help the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, then you're doing it wrong. This is not the way. And that's why I will fight that report everywhere I'll go. In the UK, the US, South Africa, here in Israel, everywhere. Because this is one huge 280 pages of lies.
2: It's outsiders who not only don't understand, are trying to foment trouble, which is which is a shame. And the fact that this person is the head of the bank, as you mentioned, doesn't surprise me at all, because Israel is a democracy. For a moment, before I ask my next question, I am going to turn this over to two of my kids. I'm really privileged to sit here with my daughter, Sophia, who's studying here in Jerusalem, for the year. My son, Avery, who came with me to visit her and to do this podcast, he's actually the junior producer on this show on this particular episode. Oh, Yusuf is clapping. That's great. Sophia, I'm going to start with you. Does it surprise you that an Arab-Israeli is the head of this important bank in Israel? You grew up loving Israel, knowing Israel, but you didn't really know Israeli society. Maybe you understand a little bit more studying here. Does that surprise you?
3: Uh, No, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think that learning here for the year has Uh, made me more understanding of the conflict, but it doesn't surprise me at all, and I think it's important for everyone to understand uh, the dynamics here.
2: And Avery, does it surprise you, and I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, but don't worry, they're both sort of yes with a little explanation. Does that surprise you, and does it surprise you to know, as Yusuf mentioned, that there are Israeli Arabs in the government? In fact, one very important Israeli Arab who I'd love to talk to you about later in the interview, guys, is Mansour Abbas, and uh, he's made some pretty incredible statements, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But Avery, does it surprise you to know that there are Arabs in the government, many with power? Does it surprise you to know that this gentleman, whose name I, I don't know, is the head of the biggest bank in Israel? Um, I wouldn't say that it surprises me. Um, and I also, I'd assume that in a government which is which controls a country that includes Arabs, I'd hope that there are Arabs in that government. I'd say I'm kind of surprised at that. There's The head of the largest bank is Arab, but it doesn't upset me or anything. I just wouldn't assume that. Okay, thank you, guys.
1: I'm just going to add a couple of more information because I think it's really important. This, this is the things that people don't realize, that just in the next week, they're going to appoint a new Supreme Court judge, an Arab Muslim, Kaboob. And, they, and they, in the last round of the new doctors in Israel, despite the fact that we are 20% of the population, Fifty percent of the new doctors were Arab Israelis. I mean, many Arabs are serving the country as well in the national service. You know, in the, in, in the police department, uh, fire department, hospitals, paramedics, medics. Uh, over six thousand Israeli Arabs serving yearly, which means every year more than six thousand Arabs serving in the national service. Quick math: tens years from now, tens of thousands of Israeli Arabs, you know, would serve the country, and that number is only growing up. Go and speak with any Arab eye-to-eye, you know, without the camera, you will hear the truth. Once you put the camera on, you might hear stuff differently. Why? Because of the minority extremists, that they are very, very, very violent and intimidating. And this is part of the things that I'm actually going through. So again, this is so, there's so many information about the, about the uh, Israeli society and especially about the Arab uh, Israeli society. Just look for it. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Then you will realize a lot of things.
2: To be honest, uh, and maybe I should be embarrassed to say this, but I'll say it because I'm honest. I don't have uh, any Israeli Arab friends except you now, Yusuf. You're my first Israeli Arab friend. Why?
1: Ahlan wa sahlan, first of all. Shukran.
2: Why? Because pre my job at the White House, I never really had the time, not the time, I had the, had the opportunity to interact. And during the White House, the Israeli-Arab community, maybe it was a mistake, was sort of not, um, not high on the agenda. Everybody was focused on the Palestinians and eventually the neighbors. So I hope that changes. I do have many Palestinian friends. Uh, in fact, I'm, now I'm going to turn it over to my kids again. Sophia, in January of 2019... I stayed in the King David. Vice President Pence was here. It was a Friday afternoon. This is after President Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The Palestinian Authority had cut us off. And officially, there were no contacts between the Palestinians and the White House because the Palestinian Authority decided to make sure that no one would speak to us. I met five 20, 30, 20-ish, 30-ish-something-year-old Palestinians. Anyway, we met in a quiet area. And what did I do?
3: It was a Friday afternoon, and I remember my dad calling my mom saying that we wanted to invite some friends over for dinner. So, uh, for Shabbat dinner. So, uh, we ran, we got some extra food at the store, but it was pretty late in the afternoon. But we made it work, and we had a lovely dinner. And um, my siblings and I really enjoyed it, and we learned a lot from meeting with everyone.
2: And, you know, let's be honest when I told you that they were Palestinian, were you a little bit nervous?
3: Um, I was a little bit nervous mostly because it was really my first interaction, but the Shabbat meal was really nice and I'm very glad that we did it.
2: Avery, were you nervous when we came home from shul, from synagogue, and I told you that we have a bunch of Palestinian friends coming for Shabbat dinner? Uh, I'd say that I was slightly nervous, but it was a very nice meal and it was very interesting. Hey, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Sophia Avery and I had a great conversation with Emily Schrader and Yusuf Haddad from Headlines with the Haddads. Our conversation was at the beautiful King David Hotel in Jerusalem. We're clearly getting to know one another and learning a lot, and hopefully developing a friendship. The conversation was a lot longer because we had so much to talk about. Want to hear more? Tune in for the next episode to catch the rest of our friendly, fascinating conversation. The next episode will be coming out in a few days. Don't forget to share this episode so others can hear it and learn from it as well. And tell them also to look out for the next episode. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.